Hey everyone, uh, so good to be with you this morning as we continue to live as pilgrims in a strange age. I know uh, for many of you, there's still just an overriding sense of, of fear, anxiety, uh, worry, and I just want to remind you again and again uh, that this has not taken Jesus by surprise. This last week was actually one of the, the, the first times I really felt like I'm beginning to adjust to whatever this new normal is. And I really had just a lovely week with my family, uh, just trying to grab a hold of those pinpoints of grace and just enjoy uh, my kids and my wife. It was Darcy's birthday on Thursday. I don't think I've ever played so much Monopoly in my life, but I think that these are those moments in which God is reminding us uh, that He is in control, that we are not, and that we need to continue to display uh, a, just a simple childlike trust in our Heavenly Father in this time. So just know we love you, we are continuing to pray for you, uh, and we are here for you. Well, what I wanna talk with you about today is about grace. Obviously, it's a theme that is central in what Door of Hope is about. I believe it's central in the scripture. And I want to actually draw our attention to Psalm 139. Uh, this is a passage that I have taught on many times through the years of Door of Hope, but I continue to teach it when I go speak other places because I continue to find just new riches uh, that just minister so much to my heart and to my mind. And so I want to just begin by just reminding us of, of what grace is. I think that the best way to define grace is that it means, at its most basic level, Emmanuel, that God is with us. It refers to a God that neither exists next to us or merely above us, but instead He exists with us and for us. It refers to a God who does not sweep our needs, concerns, lacks, wants, or problems under the rug, but takes them up and makes them His own and answers and solves them better than we can know or even desire. I've often quoted Paul Zoll's beautiful book, uh, Grace in Practice, and I love his definition of grace as a love that seeks you out when you have nothing to give in return. Grace is love coming at you and has nothing to do with you. Grace is being loved when you are unlovable. It is the one-way love of God. I think to take it even further, grace declares that God, through Jesus, made himself receptive for us and us for himself. It is God's gift to us, his unconditional, loving, intimate presence through Jesus by his Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, uh, Psalm 139 gives us a beautiful picture of the facets of grace. And I wanna just begin by looking at the first six verses. The psalmist writes, "'You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. "'You know when I sit down and when I rise. "'You perceive my thoughts from afar. "'You discern my going out and my laying down. "'You are familiar with all my ways. "'Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, "'you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, 
too lofty for me to attain. I want you to think about those words because theologians do a great disservice to God when they pull apart his attributes. And this section of the psalm really gives us an insight into what theologians call omniscience, which is God's knowledge of all that is. But the problem with that approach to understanding God's attributes is it, it, it strips the personal element of God from our understanding. God's knowledge is never for knowledge's sake, but it is directly connected to his genuine interest in our existence. This is why the psalmist says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. He knows David because he cares about David. He knows you because he cares about you. You know, when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. The gospel is good news because it reveals a God who has taken the initiative. The answer is because he cares, because it is his nature to love. He is gracious. It is Emmanuel, God with us. These first six verses reminds us that grace means that you are known. But how can God really understand me? This is a question that we often ask ourselves. And, and the fact is, is that he has an intimate knowledge of me even when I'm sinful. And we can say, well, how? Because God is holy and in him is no darkness at all. And that he who knew no sin became sin. So if Jesus didn't know sin and sin is such a massive part of who we are apart from God's gracious covering, how can God truly know us? But that's the thing is that Jesus actually even understands our sinfulness better than we can understand it because he who knew no sin became sin. He was able to take it all the way to its bitter end. He understands our weakness. He understands our brokenness. He knows us because he cares about us. This is the beauty of the gospel. This is why it says in Hebrews chapter four, verses 15 through 16, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. And the throne of grace is every place where we look up and cast our attention, as I spoke about the other day, upon the one who is closer to us than we are to our own thoughts. Jesus is not just involved with the suffering of the world, but identified fully with it. God, through Jesus, is identified fully with our suffering. His sympathy isn't that he just feels sorry for us, but that he's actually willing to help. In Jesus, God's knowledge of us is experimental and active. He knows all because he is able to forgive all. This is a relational revolution, an absolute paradigm shift in what it means to know God. Jesus is God enough to save us and man enough to understand us. Grace means I am known. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. It reminds me of the way that my wife has like an intuition of even what I'm going to say before I say it because she knows me so well 
because she lives so closely to me. The proximity and the intimacy of our relationship allows us to often know what the other is thinking before a thing is even spoken. God even more so. In this time where many of you are feeling isolated, I want to remind you that grace means you are known by God because God cares about you. Secondly, you see in verses 7 through 12, the psalmist goes on to write, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light has become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for the darkness is as light to you. Here we see once again, an attribute of God that is demonstrated for us so beautifully and so personally, and it is that attribute of omnipresence, God's absolute presence in all places at all times. This is once again problematic if we detach it from God's relational nature. If he's just all places at all times, that just makes God kind of creepy. He's like a voyeur just watching everything we do. But if God is personal, and God is present because he cares to be near to his children and wants us to be near to him. God's grace can be experienced by his presence in our lives. Jesus said in Matthew 28, I am with you always till the end of the age. The question many have is like, I don't feel his presence. I'm feeling his absence. I shared this the other day in the midweek devotional. As Christian Wyman said, that my belief is actually solidified by my sense that he is absent means that I believe that he's there. I wouldn't feel his absence if I didn't think that he existed. And so the problem is not God's presence. The problem is our ability to attune our hearts to his presence, to look for those little pinpoints of grace, to see the way that God is working in this world and working through every situation, the way that he is able to take the dissonant notes of life and weave them into his redemptive story. God is present. And through our self-sufficiency, I believe we have pushed God out of our minds. We have lost our ability to see him in our daily experience because we've lost our sense of a need for him. This is why I believe in spite of the ugliness of the coronavirus and its ability to take lives in an unprecedented way, this fear that it has caused in the hearts of many, I think it is good for us as human beings to be reminded of our frailty. I think it's good for us to be reminded of how short life is. Right now, as I speak to you, my father is in, is in, a, uh, is in a, a coma on a ventilator an induced coma due to a serious life-threatening infection in his leg, a life, a lifetime of drugs and alcohol abuse, uh, and his organs are, are shutting down, and he has a 50% chance of survival right now. And I love my dad. And the, the powerful thing, just the other night on Wednesday night, I had the opportunity to talk with him right before they put him under 
for his surgery and he talked with Darcy and the kids and we were able to tell him that we love him and he let me pray for him. And I have watched God pursue my father all the way to the grave. My prayer is that dad survives and knowing my father who does seem to have nine lives, uh, he, he just may well pull through this, but he is getting close to the end. And I trust that God is with him. And I told him the other day when I talked, I said, Dad, God is near you. Jesus is with you. And he actually said to me, I believe that, son. And so I just want you to know God is with us. Listen, life is difficult. It's short. It's often impossible. But Jesus is good. And he is good because he knows everything about us because he cares about us. He is closer to us than we are to our own thoughts. Grace means I am known. And grace means I am not alone. We need to restore a right understanding of how God reveals himself to us each day. We need to be looking for those intersections of grace. One of the ways that God makes himself known to us is often in community. This is why we can feel like God is absent because many of us are spending too much time alone. And I just encourage you, whatever means you can, connect with the people uh, that are around you. I isolated myself too much the first week. I think anxiety and all those things. And I've just been celebrating the ways that God reveals himself to me through my children, through my wife, through the staff, through the encouragement, the elders. This is how I see Jesus working in and through our lives, the beautiful ways that God is nearer to us than we are to our own thoughts. Through reading his scripture, time and devotion this morning, I just sense God's presence. And I pray that over all of you um, in this time. God is near to us. We don't need to be afraid. We don't know what's gonna happen, but we do know that God is with us in whatever happens. And that is what should give us the confidence to continue to push through. Third, we see that in verses 13 through 16, he says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. We see here God's omnipotence, his absolute power, his control over the world and the universe. And I don't have to try to wrestle or I think it is foolishness for theologians to try to create some sort of airtight systematic theology around God's sovereignty and our responsibility. Uh, this is the thing that I know for certain. We are not nearly as free as we think we are, but God is never responsible <laughs> for the stupid things we do. I, this is why I continue to cast my trust upon the one who is able to be responsible for us and desires to be responsible for us. And I love this. The psalmist reminds us that God knew what he was doing when he made us, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that our frame is not hidden from him, that he has ordained the days for us to walk in. Are we paying attention to the fact that grace doesn't just mean that I am known, it doesn't just mean that I'm not alone, but it means that I was created for love. If God's 
love, his grace, his one-way love toward us is, is summed up in that word Emmanuel, God is with us, then it means that we have been made to be conduits of that grace, that we are to be a people that reflect that love toward others, not because they deserve it, but because all of us, ourselves included, recognize that grace is unfair. It comes to us in an unmerited favor. I don't deserve Jesus's love any more than anyone else, but God has chosen to love me in spite of my mixture, in spite of my brokenness. And for this, I am humbled, and the gratitude in me creates a desire to be an extension of that grace. I can't say that I love Jesus and not hold out love for others. And this is what the world needs right now. Do you know, right now we're seeing more activity on our website than we probably have ever seen because people are looking to the church for hope. And the question is, church, and I ask you this door of hope and all of those beyond door of hope that are watching that believe in Jesus, are you being a conduit of God's one-way love toward those that, that need it? You know, my dad wasn't there for me growing up. My dad chose a life of drug dealing and, and drinking and living however he wanted instead of my brother and I. And I could hold on to bitterness for that. Or as I learned many years ago, it says, honor your mother and father. And it doesn't say if they were awesome. And I chose to enter into my father's life and to be a conduit of grace. And what I have found is that I've really fallen in love with my dad. In spite of all of the brokenness, I, I want to be with my dad. I want to see him again. I, I, I don't want uh, to escape him even though he wasn't there for me. And the only reason I can say that is because Jesus showed me that while I was still yet a sinner, that in his love he died for me. And he didn't just die for me, he died for my father as well. Grace means we were created for something bigger than ourselves. Grace means that God has a plan. And the question is, is do we wanna be a part of that plan? You know, you often say that uh, God has a perfect plan for your life. I think God has a perfect plan. And for us, it can be difficult, but it's still going to be more beneficial than trying to maintain some sort of false idea that we are somehow the masters of our own universe. If the coronavirus is showing us anything, is that we are not masters of our own universe. And this is why we need to hope in something bigger than ourselves. I pray that this time actually gets us out of our heads and begins to help us understand that we actually, even in our mixture, have the ability, even with all of our flaws and our glitches, God can use us in spite of all of those things. And you can say, well, I was born this way. I can't escape the bitterness I feel. I can't escape the mental deficiencies that I have. I can't escape this or that, whatever it might be. Listen, you're looking at a guy who, you know, I'm sure I'm on some kind of spectrum. I've barely made it out of high school. I've, I've struggled with a million things. In spite of those things, Jesus continues to use the foolishness of human conduits to bring forth his beautiful, life-transforming message. We can't say we were born this way because we have been born again. 
And if you've never put your faith in Jesus, I want you to know he loves you. He died for you. He rose from the dead. He has conquered death, sin, and the dominions of darkness. He ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he sends his Holy Spirit to those that turn to him in faith. We are told that whoever confesses with their lips that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead shall be saved. Cast your trust in him. What are you trusting in? Have you discovered that grace means that you are known, grace means you are not alone, and grace means you were created for love? So how should we respond to this amazing grace? Well, in verses 17 through 18, it says, How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Notice that the psalmist, in response to God's graciousness in his life, grace creates wonder. Grace means I'm amazed. In 2 Corinthians 5.14, it says, For the love of Christ controls us. It's that sacramental cast that I spoke of last week when we talked about what it means to have childlike faith. It's the ability to recognize God in all the ways in which he is working in this world of his. Do you have a childlike wonder? Are you, are you amazed? I mean, literally, it means that grace means I'm not bored. And boredom might be the real killer in this time for many of you. And I just want you to know that when we have been captivated by God's love, it can turn the mundane into the most spectacular reality. Think about how you felt when you first fell in love for those that you that have fallen in love. It was like it was impossible to be bored because you're just overwhelmed with a sense of wonder. It's amazing how love can change the lens of how we live. Grace creates wonder. It means I am amazed. Then he says in 19 through 22, and these are the difficult verses because he says, if only you, God, would slay the wicked. I mean, how did he turn from all this beautiful insightfulness into God's gracious movement toward him? And now he says, if only you'd slay the wicked. I mean, we don't put that in in our hymns or our worship songs. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Is this a mistake in the scripture? I mean, how could the psalmist say that? I mean, there's another psalm where it's like, dash my enemy's baby's heads against rocks. And you're like, this does not seem appropriate. This seems to not be the way of Jesus. But keep in mind, these are prayers. And think about who David's greatest enemy was. Who was it? It was Saul. And you remember, what did David do to Saul? Nothing. He would not raise a hand against God's anointed. What that means is that David takes his frustrations with the beautiful thing about the Psalms is how honest they are. He takes his anger, his righteous indignation, and notice it's not anger about how he has been treated. It is a concern for God's glory. And the safest place to take our frustrations, our upsets, is to God himself in prayer. <laughs> That's one of the points of this. But I think that what it shows us actually is something that grace creates in our hearts. It creates devotion. It means that I'm not divided. 
is a recognition that my life now is possessed by another and I want to live for the glory of God. I love what he loves and I hate what he hates. Can you say that? I think that this is why it says in 1 Timothy 6, verses 11 through 12, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you are called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. How many voices are vying for our affection, our allegiance, and often the one that we give the greatest allegiance and devotion to is ourselves. In this time where we are having a massive reset in our world, let us examine where our devotions lie. Grace creates a devotion to the grace giver. Grace means I'm amazed. Grace means I am not divided. And finally, in verses 23 through 24, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The question of what should we be asking God for is, is often an interesting one. And, you know, I see lots of people praying that God would remove the coronavirus from the world. And I think that it's appropriate to pray. I think it's appropriate to ask God to heal my dad, uh, to save his life. But I, I think that often our prayers and our requests are so temporal. I, God removes this virus, another virus will come. What I love about the closing prayer here is how directly connected it is to the facets of grace. Because not only does grace, the response is wonder and, and loyalty, but it ends here with total surrender. The thing that David wants more than anything is just to know that he is truly living for Yahweh that he's living for the God who has graciously moved toward him. He says, search me, God, and know my heart. Of all the things he could have asked for, what he wants to be shown is the areas that are still not totally surrendered. He wants to know how he can live more fully for God because he has tasted God's goodness and he is hungry for more. There is a spiritual thirst that cannot be quenched. He has seen that God is good. He, his heart is compelled by the love of God. And I would just ask you this question. If I let Jesus Christ be for me what I am not and cannot be for myself, what can this world do to me? That's what faith is. Letting Jesus be for you what you are not nor what you can be for yourself. Trusting him in such a way that he has the ability to be himself in and through us. The psalmist surrenders himself to examination and surrenders himself to guidance. This is what it means when we confess that Jesus is Lord. It means that I am not. It means that he is king. And that means that we are not. It means that he has control. And this is why we trust him. Grace means I am not my own. So there you have it. These facets of grace. Grace means I am known. Grace means I am not alone. 
Grace means I am created for love. Grace means I am amazed. I'm not bored. I am filled with wonder. Grace means I am not divided. I am loyal to my king. And grace means I am not my own. Lay everything at the feet of Jesus. He loves you. On your worst day, he's crazy about you. I love you guys so much. I pray that God speaks to you through this word.